So as you're being seated, I invite you to find a Bible, if you will, and turn in the New Testament to 1 Peter. The Apostle Peter wrote two letters to the early Christian community. This morning, our text for the day, for All Saints Sunday, will come from 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll begin reading at the first verse. Here now is the Holy Spirit uses the words of the Apostle Peter to speak to each one of us. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow. By it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, Peter says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who call you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. My friends, this is the word of God. Would you pray with me? God, we know that you have called us together this morning. We're not here by accident. You are taking each one of us as living stones and placing us in your new temple that you are creating in this world. So God, I pray that each one of us will be freed from distractions so that we can hear your voice speaking to us today through your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All over the internet, you can find quizzes that you can take that will help you learn who you are, discover more about who you are, learn what your purpose is in life or to be about, learn why your personality is as it is, and what are the ramifications of your personality, and I suspect that there's some value and benefit to those personality profiles. If 
If you know anything about the famous Myers-Briggs personality profile, I'll confess to you, I am an ISTJ. Now, I just told you more about myself than I probably should have, but I'm an ISTJ. If you, if you need further explanation what it's like for someone's personality profile to be an ISTJ, just talk to my wife. She can tell you all about it. But if we really want to know who we are, why we're here, what our purpose in life is, those quizzes might be okay, but where we should really go is to the Word of God, to the Bible. The Bible tells us who we are. We, we want to allow the Creator to tell the creatures who we are. So in the Bible, we do discover in remarkable ways who we are. In the Bible, throughout the Testaments, both old and new, we see that there are basically two kinds of people in the world. The human race is divided into two parts, according to the Bible. There are those who are outside of Christ. They are those who have not yet come to Christ. They are those who haven't yielded, surrendered their lives to Christ. And as a result, they are lost. They're in spiritual confusion and darkness. They are alienated from God because they have refused the gift of God in Jesus Christ to bring us back into union with God. And those that are outside Christ will have to bear the penalty themselves for their sin and their guilt. But the Bible also says that there's another category. And that category is those who are in Christ or in Him. If you read the New Testament closely, you will notice that there are over 180 times where you encounter that phrase, in Christ or in Him. So we need to understand what it means to be in Christ or in Him. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17 declares boldly that any of us that are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. So we know that if we are in Christ... We are a new creation. We have been done over. We've been made anew. We've been born again. We have received the gift of the Spirit. To be in Christ means that we, we seek to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We not only give Jesus our sins, because he's the only one that can atone for our sins. We not only seek to give Jesus our sins, but day by day what we seek to do is to give Jesus our very lives. As, as Lord, we seek to convert, transform more and more and more and more of our lives to Jesus Christ. Now, I know as we make this spiritual journey, as we seek to grow, we find areas of our lives that we have not turned over yet to Jesus Christ. But by grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can find those areas that we have kept off limits to Jesus, and we can bring them under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Our leisure, our entertainment, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, our attitudes, 
We want to bring all of our lives under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's important that we know what it means, what it looks like to be in Christ. And of course, the Bible helps us with that. We're not left in ignorance. The Bible helps us with this. And here in 1 Peter, Peter is telling us what it means to be chosen and claimed by Christ, what it looks like for a human life to be yielded to Jesus Christ. You notice three things I will point out to you this morning from this text. The first I want to mention is this. As Christians, this text teaches us that we should hunger for that pure spiritual milk so that we can grow. Look at the opening verses of the text. Rid yourself, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. I'll come back to that. Verse 2, like newborn infants long crave for the pure spiritual milk so that it so that by it you may grow. You may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As Christians, we should have an insatiable hunger for this pure spiritual milk. And what Peter means by that is the Word of God. We should have an insatiable hunger for the Word of God. We just can't get enough of the Word of God. And We should crave the Word of God as newborn babies crave milk. Have I told you about my granddaughters lately? They are adorable. They're amazing. They're growing like weeds. They're 15, 16 months old now. And um, I know your grandchildren are wonderful. Mine are better. They are just great joys in our lives. But I've, I've relearned some things by having babies, infants around me. We should crave the Word of God like babies crave milk. And I I know that after a while they begin adding other foods to their diet. And I also have learned from watching my little ones that sometimes they don't want to consume the good stuff because they've been too busy consuming the bad stuff. And Peter knows that. You know, if you eat too much Halloween candy, you probably won't, you don't want dinner. You have spent too much time consuming the bad stuff, so you don't have any energy or desire left to consume the good stuff. I think that's why Peter in this text says to us, before he talks about craving the milk of God's Word, he says, rid yourselves. We can do that. We have the power to do that through the work of God in our lives. Rid yourselves, therefore of all malice. Here's some of the bad stuff we consume in the place of the pure spiritual food of the Word of God. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice. That's internal evil. That's the evil that resides inside of us. And all guile, that's hypocrisy. Insincerity, envy, and all slander. And slander is everything from unkind speech to just flat lies about other people, bearing false witness. Peter says we should rid ourselves of this bad stuff, not spend our energy consuming this type of food, but instead we should crave the pure spiritual milk. The Word of God, because by craving an insatiable desire for the Word of God, we will grow 
We will grow into salvation. But all of this is dependent upon the fact, as he says in verse 3, that we have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good. We've had an encounter. We've had an experience with the living Lord. So as Christians, we should hunger for the pure spiritual milk of God's Word. Secondly, as you look at the text here, you see that as Christians, we, we are living stones that God is using to build a new temple. Look at verse 4. Come to him a living stone. So he is a primary living stone. Come to him a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves, let ourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is at work taking each one of us and building us into the new temple. He is quarrying us out of the muck and the mire of this world, and he's placing us into this new temple that he's building. There was a time in our history when the temple was a place But, of course, now the temple is a people. There was a time people needed to travel to Jerusalem to find the temple, to enter the temple and experience the presence of God. But now the temple's not a place. The temple is a people. So where we go to now to experience the reality of God is to the new temple, to us, to this spiritual house that God is building in the world. That's what it means to be one of his. He is taking each one of us as living stones and placing us where he wants to place us in this new thing he's creating. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's in our midst that people experience him. And we make living sacrifices in this temple. You heard Peter say that. We make living sacrifices. In the old temple, they offered burnt sacrifices burnt offerings. But we offer living sacrifices. I think if you were to ask Peter, what are some examples of those living sacrifices? He would say things like your, your praise to God, your prayers, your good works, your acts of mercy, your resources, the people you win for Christ. Those are the living sacrifices that we offer. We come into the Lord's house Sunday after Sunday. We come before an altar, not to offer burnt offerings as sacrifice, but to offer our lives as a living sacrifice here in this new temple that God is creating. Of course, Peter says that the the cornerstone of this new temple is Jesus Christ. He's the very foundation of this new temple. He is the rock, the stone that holds all of us together. But you did notice that Peter started quoting Old Testament scripture at this point when he references Jesus as the chief cornerstone, our foundation that holds us together. And he says that for some people, they stumble over the chief cornerstone. For some people, they fall over the rock that is Jesus Christ. When Jesus came into the human experience, he divided the human family in two. 
those who accept him that are in Christ, that find the fullness of life because they've surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. And then there's the other category of people who, who stumble over him, who fall because of him. They, they don't receive him on his terms. They want to somehow make their own terms as to how they will receive this Jesus. So as Christians, we are those living stones that he is taking and placing us in the new temple. You're not here by accident. You're not in this world by accident. You're not in Christ by accident. He is making something new out of us. We're in this together. There are no long rangers in the Christian experience. We need each other. And together we make this journey. The last thing I want you to notice from the text here is as Christians, not only are we made into a new temple, a new edifice, but we're a new people. Peter quotes from the Old Testament prophet Hosea when he said in the text, once you were not a people, once you were not a people, but now, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When God received us in Christ, he took us, he redeemed us, he saved us, he salvaged us, he delivered us, he cleansed us, and then he placed us into the people. You really can't receive Jesus. You really don't welcome Jesus unless you welcome all those people that Jesus brings with him into your life. The body of Christ, the church, the people into which we have now been made we need to encourage people to have a higher view of the church. Not the church as a building, that's not what church means, but the church as the people of Jesus Christ. He saved us, redeemed us, and he left us here to do this together. Just like in the Old Testament, you see God working through Israel. In the New Testament, you see God working through the church. You notice here, Peter has a great flourish as he begins to tell us who we are. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race. You've been chosen by God. You're a royal priesthood. You're a kingly priesthood. You serve the king, but you're a priesthood. There was a time where we had a priesthood. Now we are a priesthood. That's because we all have access to God because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's why we don't need a priesthood now in the same form or fashion that the old covenant had a priesthood. We are now all priests. We all have access to God. That's the priesthood of all believers. We all have direct access to God because of not who we are, but because of who he, Jesus Christ is. A great verse that comes to us out of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament that describes to us the benefit that we have in Christ comes from chapter 4 of Hebrews. The author says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. Then notice this. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If I tried to approach the throne of the monarch of England with boldness, that would create quite a stir. But as Christians, because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can approach God's throne with boldness. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Then Peter says, God's own people. If you were with us last week, I, I made reference to this text, and I said I'm, I'm grateful for the way the King James translates the text at this point. The text in front of me says, God's own people. The King James translates that, a peculiar people. I like that. It reminds us we're to be different from the world around us. If we start looking too much like them, we need to question our walk with Christ. We're a peculiar people. Now, I know some of you are a little more peculiar than others. But we're called to be a peculiar people. We should be a people that confuses the world around us and at times surprises the world around us. So what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be one of those saints? And saint doesn't mean someone of exceptional, exceptional, exceptional uh, power or piety. Saint just means someone that belongs to Jesus, someone that's been set apart. Saints come from every walk of life, just like the furniture in the temple, the original temple, was furniture that was holy, because it was used for God. There was nothing special innately about the furniture in the temple, except it was set apart for God's use. As a saint, the word literally means we're set apart. We're set apart for God's use. So we are Wesley. We are his redeemed, spirit-filled people. We come into this place week after week to make a new offering of our lives on this altar to make an offering of our lives as living sacrifices, offering living sacrifices to him of everything that we can from our living. We come into this place week after week to consecrate ourselves, to consecrate all that we are, to consecrate all that we have for God's purposes in life. You are not here this morning by accident. You're not in this world even by accident. You're not in Christ by accident. God has a grand design and purpose for each one of us to fulfill. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now, church family, with the confidence of children of God, let us stand and recite the Nicene Creed with one voice. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. 
He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, He rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and His kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life.